Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Thank you for caring, church family and our pastor, about the subject of mental health. Mental illness is real. It's a real thing. And uh, I think it's a shame that uh, uh, the church has um, ignored or minimized the subject for too long, and I am thankful to be in a place where it is important and that we can be real and we can be human here. We all are human, and it's okay if you're not okay but you don't need to stay there. You don't need to stay there. And there is healing in the Scriptures, and there's healing in Jesus Christ, and I hope to be a help and blessing to you um, today. Um, I do need to make sure you understand I'm not a medical professional. I'm not a scientist, all right? I'm a preacher, all right? I study the Word of God, but also God has given me a lens of personal experience by which now I look at the Scriptures, and all these lessons, the truth is, they came from desperation. I was desperate. And being in ministry, of course, I mean, just being a Christian, being a person, we go through times of discouragement and sadness, right? It's part of life. And I'd been discouraged before, but there came a point where I realized something was very, very wrong with me. And this depression thing and anxiety thing was a whole different monster than what I had assumed was just discouragement or lack of faith, things like that. And certainly those things are, uh, you know, there are elements to those in everybody's story, right? But depression and anxiety and PTSD, panic attacks, it's nuanced, it's complex. And, uh, and we need to be careful as, as people of God not to minimize the subject. So whether you are struggling yourself, or you've had a past struggle, or you know somebody, there's someone that you care about, that you want to be a a support to. We hope that we could uh, be able to show you from Scripture uh, some answers and just some direction. Also, please remember, in uh, in a 45-50 minute session, um, we'll be dealing with depression specifically um, this morning, and then tonight, uh, more specifically on anxiety, another 45-minute session or so. Obviously, it's not going to be exhaustive, all right? We're not going to be able to um, go through all the different issues, all the different facets and the different angles of, of, uh, of the subject, but, but, uh, but certainly I hope to be able to be a help to you this morning. Let's look to the, uh, to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that, uh, um, that you would guide our, our study and guide this message, Lord, that, uh, that people will be helped, and, and Lord, that you would be honored and glorified um, first and foremost. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to go ahead, and if you'd like to follow along your Bibles to Psalm uh, 77, we're going to land there and then go verse by verse and study the subject of depression. But I'd like to, by way of introduction, just point out a, uh, uh, just a, a couple uh, important concepts in Scripture, and uh, the verses will be on the screens there. So for lack of time, I'll not wait for you to, uh, to go uh, to find the Scriptures in the Bible, but uh, uh, we're going to land at Psalm 77, so I invite you to go ahead and turn there. I was, a, I was a, a full-time youth pastor of 18 years in a vibrant ministry when tragedy struck during a missions trip. After four years 
of severe depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. I left the ministry thinking I was broken beyond repair. I wondered if I would ever sing again publicly. I wondered if I would ever preach again. But I'm preaching again. Amen? God can. God can. Um, I'm here to testify that there is healing available to each and every one of us. And that God wants to use us, scars and all. And there's the truth. I have scars that can't be seen. While the darkest and deepest clouds of depression have lifted, I, I still have to manage an anxiety issue, which I'll talk about tonight. I'm not the guy who had an epiphany and, and just picked myself up and the depression disappeared right away. That's, that's not my story. It was a struggle. It was a battle. It was a climb. Uh, I'm not the guy who took hold of a Bible verse or was touched by a sermon or song and pulled myself up by my bootstraps and willed the panic attacks. That's, that's not my story. My story's a lot messier than that. I couldn't do it by myself. And here's the, the truth. None of us are designed to tackle these burdens, these loads by ourselves. but we make that assumption that we're supposed to do it by ourselves. And that's scripturally untrue. It's not true. No, I understand the cliche, all you need is Jesus. But hey, on a practical level, what does that mean? And that's the truth. You need Jesus. But we need the body of Christ, Jesus with skin on. We need one another. And so as you study Scripture, and, and, and right from the beginning, um, you see the importance of, of how God designed us to, uh, to need meaningful connection and to need a strong support system and, and relationships, and it starts with the family, and you study Israel and the interconnectedness of Jewish culture, and then, of course, the New Testament church, and as you study the New Testament church, you'll see over and over again, one another, one another, one to another, we need one another. And so I'm not that guy who just did it by myself. I'm not that one giant slayer. It was messy. It was a process. I needed help. I needed people to help pull me out of this thing. So apologies if you expected to hear the story of a giant killer who went into battle and took down the giant of depression with one stone. That's not me. But my guess is that for every giant killer in here, there's probably 99 more of us who just hung on barely by our fingertips, right? Or maybe that's you right now, just barely hanging on by your fingertips. And I'm telling you, you don't need to do that alone. You're more than likely not going to crawl out of that. You're not going to claw out of that thing by yourself. You need somebody to help you. And it's okay if you're not okay, but you don't need to stay there. It's okay to need people. That's how God designed us. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says this, important to Scripture. It says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, and comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. And I think in churches, in particular Baptist churches, we're, we're really not lacking in that first part to warn them that are unruly. And I, I think I could go back to my Bible college training and, and, and it really, as a, as a young preacher boy, I mean, it really stood out to me. I was really attracted to this, uh, this idea of standing at the pulpit and, and opening up God's word and, and proclaiming, thus saith the Lord and, and preaching against people's sin and all those different things. Hey, and I'm not against that. That's, that's part of what we need 
need to do from the pulpit and as a church. Hey, we, we don't necessarily come to church to feel good about ourselves, right? We come to church to get right with God. And sometimes we need to warn the unruly, right? But let's not forget the rest of this verse. Comfort the feeble-minded. How about that? Hey, it could be as you hear my story, and I'll share some, some really important parts of my story, it could be when you hear about this tragic accident and, 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 and you may think to yourself, wow, that's really heartbreaking, that's really tough, but, but man, I, I, I feel like you fell into depression over that, you couldn't, you couldn't weather that, I feel like I, I could have, you know, that would have been hard, I would have cried, and, and I don't think I would have fallen into depression. You know what? Hey, fair enough. That's fine, we're all different. Here's the fact of the matter. If, if you consider me to be feeble-minded or weak, I'm totally comfortable with that now, all right? I'm completely comfortable with that now. But here's the thing. So if you were around me between 2014 and 2018, and you saw a feeble-minded man barely hanging on, and you saw a weak man barely hanging on, you know what your responsibility would have been to me? It's right there in the scripture. Comfort the feeble-minded. Amen? If you would have been around and you would have saw me as weak, barely hanging on, what's, what's your responsibility scripturally? Support the weak, right? And so those of you who consider yourselves to be strong, and no doubt there's going to be a couple of you in here, right? I mean, when you face trials, I mean, they, they, your, your faith is unshakable. You're, you're Hebrews 11 faith, right? And we need you, right? But we don't need the rest of us feeble-minded and weak folk. We don't need you to criticize us. We need you to comfort us. We need you to support the rest of us who are weak. And then it says, be patient toward all men. If, if you've ever dealt with, here's the thing. Those of us who've, uh, who, who, who struggle with depression and anxiety, we understand, hey, we're nuts, right? We are. You know it's the truth. I hope you understand that with love for me, right? That's why it says that, be patient towards all men. If you're going to help people who are struggling with depression and anxiety, understand it's a messy process. And if you don't have the patience to do it, step aside and let somebody else do it, right? Because it takes some patience. There's a lot of irrational thought that needs to be sorted through. There's a whole bunch of stuff, and it's clear, you could read the book of Job, that Job had three friends that did not have the patience for it, amen, right? Be patient towards all men. I'd like to point out Psalm chapter 42. I believe we have a slide on that. Psalm 42, the Bible says this, why, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Interesting word there as the psalmist is, is talking to himself, right? Hey, those people with depression, I, I, as I said, you know, I'm joking, and I say it with love, but we know the truth. We're a little bit irrational, those with depression and anxiety. You ever talk to yourself, right? Folks, that's weird, right? It, 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 it's weird. It's not natural, right? But it is important. Self-talk is important. It's, it's, it's really important to examine the self-talk. And here's a psalmist. He's certainly struggling. And he says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? That word cast down is an interesting word. It, it means to sink or depress. Isn't that interesting? Why art thou cast down? So he knows something is wrong inside of him, and he's wondering what in the world is wrong. And then when this thing hits you, you realize, wait a minute now, I've been discouraged before, I've been sad before, I have grieved before, but this is a whole different thing. And you look into yourself, well, what is wrong? Why can't I stop being sad? Why can't I pick myself up? Why is it that all the regular stuff that I would go to before, it doesn't comfort me, but actually sometimes it aggravates me? Why am I cast down? It's important to examine that self-talk, but there does have to come a time 
a place where our self-talk shifts to talking to God. And then we see that in verse number six. Verse number six says, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. So he asks himself the question. He's examining himself, and that's good. We need to look inside and try to figure out what's going on, but we can't spend too much time talking ourselves. Eventually, there has to be a shift where we go from talking to ourselves and talking to God, and you see that right there in verse number six. Now there's an acknowledgement to God, a cry out to God, oh my God, my soul, it's cast down within me, and start talking to God. I want to talk, I want to try to answer that question. Why do we get depressed? Why are we cast down? Here's the thing about our brains. Our brains have a natural negative bias to it, right? And I imagine it's because of the fall, right? And then, and because of the fall, our bodies degrade and some weird things can happen with our body. And let's not forget that the brain is an organ as well, right? So why aren't they cast down? Uh, So with this negative um, bias, meaning that our brains are more reactive to negative things than to positive things. And you, you know that. You know that's the truth. Uh, so, for example, um, uh, our brains react more to bad things that happen to us than good things. So, let's say you're walking along the church and uh, um, you find a $20 bill right? Hey, all of a sudden, there's some, some good uh, neurotransmitters start surging through the brain, and it feels good to find that $20, right? But let's say you lose 20 bucks, right? It hurts more to lose the 20 bucks than it feels good to find the $20, right? That's, that's what I'm talking about. Our brains have a negative bias. That negative thing, rea- our brains are more reactive to the negative. Um, let's say you walk um, you, you, uh, just going to church, you ladies, it was a perfect morning, and the kids got themselves up for church themselves, and they got to the breakfast table, and, and uh, the cereal that they put out, they still liked, right? You know how kids, they change their minds about cereal on a whim, right? But they, they, they all liked the cereal, and, and everybody was just, the kids did their devotions, and moms, you were able to, um, to take care of your makeup and hair, right? And you were just able to, and everything was going, going well, and you got in the car, and, and everything is relaxed, you're not sweaty, right? And you get to the church, and everything's right. Somebody comes up to you and says, wow, you look really nice today. That feels good, right? But let's say it wasn't one of those mornings, all right? The kids are fighting, right? The same cereal they liked yesterday, the kids hate today, right? You don't have time to do your makeup. You're doing the makeup on, on the way to church, on the car. And, and, and your, your husband thinks he's a NASCAR on the way to, on the way to church, and then so that makeup, you know, isn't ideal. And then you walk into church and somebody says, boy, you look tired today. <laughs> Don't tell people they look tired. We know what that means. That means we're ugly and we, we get it, right? All right, it's the worst thing to say to people, right? So it would feel good for somebody to say, wow, you look beautiful today, but it hurts more to be told you look tired or you're ugly then it feels good for someone to compliment you. Understand that concept there? We could see that in brain scans. Our brains react. They stay, the emotional parts of our brain stay lit up for a lot longer and more, more strongly um, to negative stimuli than positive stimuli. So here's the, here's the thing. So since these negative stimuli hit us harder, we need more positive stimuli in our lives, more positive events, good things to happen to us, more compliments than insults, just to keep us at a healthy baseline. 
Let's just say that this, my, where my hands are, are what we would consider a healthy baseline emotionally, right? And so let's say you go to work and somebody criticizes something that you did and then you get knocked down, right? And then uh, you come back to church on Wednesday and you get blessed by, um, by, the, by the Bible study and you get popped up just a little bit, right? And you're back to church on Thursday and, uh, and, and, you, and you miss the deadline and you get popped down a little bit, right? And then you're back to church on Sunday and you just get blessed by the music and you get popped up a little bit, right? And then something else happens Monday, a negative event, and then somebody calls you and just encourages you and gives you positive hey, you know what has happened? You, we've had a, in this scenario, you've had equal, an equal number of positive things happen to negative things, but because of how our brains react to the negative, we've been cast down. Why art thou cast down? Sometimes, like me, it's one big, traumatic, grievous event that just knocks us down, right? But for a lot of people who've reached out to us in the last couple years since uh, my story's made public and we've had the privilege to launch um, the Climb Ministries and, and just trying to help people and support people and equip churches and, 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 uh, and as people reach out, sometimes, especially men, they find themselves in depression and nothing in particular happened. They don't know why they're depressed. More than likely, it's death by a million different cuts, Right? million little tiny microscopic cuts. And the truth is, here's why it's so important to have a support system. And we as believers, we understand that support system. Of course, if you have that in your family, praise the Lord. But God has set up the church to be one big old support system. And so each one of us, we're going to face stuff. Boom. Something's going to happen tomorrow. And we need a text from a friend a phone call, uh, vibrant devotions, and then something else is going to happen, and then we're going to get Wednesday night service, and then we're going to get a coffee appointment with a mentor, and then we're going to be back in it. Do you understand what we need? So I'm just going to throw this number out there. Since our brains are more reactive to negative things, and we need more positive encouragement to just balance out the negative, I will just say, hey, just going through life, I think we need three positive things, encouraging words, Bible verses, just a, 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 a nice text, a, um, a vibrant Bible study, three things for every one negative event that happens in our lives. And maybe it's two, but also remember this, depending on the season of life, if you're going through more stress, maybe you need four or five positive events. And that's why it's so important is as a church family, we don't just come here as consumers, as pastors have been preaching, right? It's not here just to be entertained or be blessed by beautiful music. That's not what it's all about. It's about being a church family. It's about being the body of Christ. It's about being connected with people. It's about building relationships and getting to know people and understanding other people's stories and, 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 uh, and, and having an empathetic ear. Why? Why are we cast down because we just get overwhelmed by life and we don't even realize it's happening because as we're keeping score, hey, we've got an equal amount of negative to positive. What do I have to, um, to complain about, right? Not that complaining helps, right? But we just don't even realize it's happening. We have to be proactive in being a blessing to 
one another. Another interesting word there. Why thou cast down, O my soul, means to sink or depress. And why art thou disquieted in me? Another interesting word. That word disquieted means, um, well, cast down means to sink or dis- uh, depress. And uh, the, uh, the word disquieted has the idea of, uh, of noise, of a commotion, or of a or tumult inside. And, and that's what anxiety is. There's just this nonstop slight buzzing, this elevated awareness of what might be dangerous around us and our, our, our bodies, our, our brains, and our, our nervous system react inappropriately or disproportionately uh, to different things, whether it be thoughts or sometimes it could be smells or, or different things. And, and, and we'll, we'll hit that tonight as we look at uh, anxiety, a message uh, entitled, Get Out of Tomorrow. And I appreciate what the lady sang. Um, we don't have to stay um, worried about tomorrow. Why? Because Jesus is already there, right? And that's what anxiety is, where um, is anguish over potential negative events in the future. Here's the thing, if we know Jesus is there, certainly that could help calm our systems, our minds, our souls, our brains. But depression is typically anguish over the past. And yes, we get depressed about our present circumstances, but usually it's rooted over um, maybe a mistake or regret or a loss in the past that has caused our present bad situation, right, or negative situation. So typically depression is anguish over the past, and um, anxiety is anguish of the, over the future. And the challenge is to get out of tomorrow and get out of yesterday and stay in today as the ladies as the ladies sung. Now, would you look at, go to your, you might be in Psalm 77. In Psalm 77, we're going to take an intimate look at depression. There's a man by the name of Asaph. We don't know a whole lot about him. We do know that he was a, a leader in Israel, and uh, more than likely, he had some major part in music ministry. I certainly love that. And something happened to him. Now look, remember, a, a lot of times people who are suffering with depression, they don't know how they ended up there. More than likely you got cast down slowly, a million little tiny cuts that just slowly, slowly cast you down, right? Sometimes it's a traumatic event. Sometimes it's a deep loss, whether the loss of a loved one or a loss of a job or what have you, a strained relationship, one of those things. For me, it was trauma-induced depression. And what we see here in Scripture is Asav went through some traumatic event. We don't know what it was, but we see here in Psalm chapter 77, verse 2, he says this, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. There was something that happened to Asaph. I wish we knew what it was, but we do know that he had a day of trouble, and then we're going to look at just verse by verse through Psalm 77. Obviously, the first thing he did was seek the Lord. You know what I found Christians, believers, that they have something that happened. And, and pretty much across the board, yes, the first thing we do, because we know, yes, of course, go to God. And I think the damage that we've done as a church is we've assumed that if somebody is suffering with depression, it's because of some type of unresolved personal sin. And, and what my encouragement to churches, to believers now, is just let's not broad brush the issue. You know, it could be right? It's possible that someone's unresolved personal sin has caused their depression, but maybe not. Maybe not. I'm just asking you not to broad brush it and to to, to dig a little deeper into this thing. He had some day of trouble, and of course, here's a spiritual man, and we're going to see these elements of spirituality as, as he's desperate, he's digging, trying to figure out what's wrong, and he seeks the Lord. But still, we see him descend 
into a real big struggle and challenge with depression. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. The day of my trouble was July 26, 2014. I was in youth ministry, full-time youth ministry, for, uh, for 18 years. had the privilege of working with a whole lot of young people, um, whether it be in our youth group and other youth ministries, just running camps and activities and preaching in camps and youth conferences and things like that. I loved it. In my 18th year, we were already working towards transitioning. Um, I didn't stop loving youth ministry. I, I really felt like I could, I could keep on doing it. Um, but I th- we felt like it was time and we were starting the transition. And so in youth, uh, as a youth pastor, we, we took missions trips every single year. So we, we went on 15, 16 different missions trips, and, and they, were, uh, they, they, they were in Utah or, uh, or Indian Reservation in the Southwest, Alaska, India, just uh, Fiji, amazing places our youth ministry uh, was able to minister. We loved it. For my very last missions trip, I, I, I was, at first I was thinking, man, this is my last one. I'm going to go out big, right? But then, you know, we had uh, been able to to amass a good amount in our, in our, our missions fund. And, and I didn't want to take all of that and blow it on one big old missions trip. And I wanted to leave a good amount of money for the, the incoming youth pastor. And so we desi- decided to just do something low-key for the last one. And, uh, and we went up to Washington State and helped a church planner up there. And uh, uh, not too expensive. And we would just make it big there in Washington. And it was amazing helping a church planner, running a vacation Bible school. Uh, ch- children came. Children got saved. Some of my young people, they led a soul to Christ for the very first time. And we did our, our final visits on Saturday. And we're encouraging um, parents to come. Of course, that's one of the big pushes. And we, were pl- uh, we were expecting a lot of visitors on Sunday morning and decided, of course, hey, on Saturday, we're just going to take a break and we're going to have a fun day and decide Let's go to the beach, Ocean Shores, Washington had a bonfire. We had a whole bunch of candy and stuff left over from vacation Bible school, and we, we, we gorged on the candy and everything. When we got to Ocean Shores, um, uh, we, we parked right there on the sand, and uh, we had to dig our own fire pit and everything. We got out, the young people were excited, and they said, hey, Jay, can we go out into the water? I said, yeah, go ahead and go out in the water. And I decided I was just going to go ahead and get this bonfire going. One of the young men young man by the name of Paul, one of the finest Christians I've ever known, teenager, adult, whatnot, just one of the best Christians I've ever known. He was so in love with Jesus, he, he wanted to be a missionary to North Korea. That's how nuts he was, right? And he just be, it just came from a love of Jesus. If somebody has to go to North Korea, why not me? It's like, no, not you. Um, but no, he just loved Jesus that much, right? And so it wasn't a surprise that, that uh, as I was getting ready to start digging this, this fire pit, he says, hey, Jay, no, I'm going to help you with that. And so that meant I gave him the shovel, and I stepped back and says, okay, I'll dig. And he starts digging. We're just chatting, fellowship and everything. Get the pallet in there. Get the fire going. Once the fire's going, says, hey, Jay, are we good? He says, yeah. He says, yeah, we're good, man. Get out there. He goes running off to the, uh, to, uh, to the ocean there, and I, and, I, and I watch him run off. And, uh, and I look towards, uh, towards the water, and I see the kids, and they're a little bit deeper than I expected them to be. And so, of course, I'm a youth pastor. I got to keep everybody safe, right? Got the youth pastor eyes going. I go right over to the shoreline, to the surf line, and I just realize, okay, this is a really gently sloping beach. And uh, so they, even though they were a little bit farther than I expected, they weren't very deep at all. Maybe knee depth and swells would come up to the waist or anything. And so, okay, their depth is fine. And then I looked out and I just considered the strength of the waves and nobody's getting battered around or sloshed around. Is that happening? And I start to look around for, for rock outcroppings, right? Making sure everything is good and, and everything was good, right? Everything was good. And then I just stood there knowing this is my final 
missions trip as a youth pastor. The kids didn't know yet that we were transitioning. And I stood there, and there were a couple kids at the bonfire that said, Jay, I think you, you were there for probably like 15 minutes. I didn't realize it was that long. But I stood there and just thanked God for allowing me to do this for 18 years, to show, show uh, young people how to love Jesus and, and bring people to Jesus and serve him with all their hearts and just show them a good time and just thank God. Just stood there and enjoyed it, didn't have a worry. Walked back to the bonfire and I put myself purposely on the side of the bonfire facing the ocean. Of course, so smoke is coming into me, but it, you know, I had to watch them, and, and everything was good. They're having a great time. Then one of the girls came in from the, from the water, and she was soaking wet and just wanted to change. Or we're parked right there, so I wanted to give her a discreet place to change. So I got in the van to move it and got stuck in the sand a little bit. So I had to jostle that thing back and forth. Finally got it out, and I didn't want it to get restuck. So I'm circling the sand, the, the sand parking area, and try to find a spot. Didn't feel uh, stable. Try to find another spot. And then I finally found a spot, felt stable, looked like it was going to be discreet for her to change. Turned off the ignition, and as soon as I opened the door, I heard the first screams of emergency vehicles rushing towards the water. And I knew right there, my kids were in trouble. So I got out, tried to figure out what was going on. One of the young men by the name of Tyler ran, got, got to our bonfire and says, Angel's still in there. Angel's one of our senior boys, um, senior young men. And so we go running, uh, running to the area, and there's already there's strangers from the beach, and there's, a, uh, there's an ambulance and a couple police cars that are already there. And, uh, um, and then I see Angel, and he's hunched over, and uh, he's throwing up seawater. I don't even remember who's helping him. I was like, oh, praise the Lord, there's Angel. And then I started to count because I needed to get to 12 right? But before I can get to even nine, I think, somebody said, Paul's still out there. I don't remember this, but the kid said, I fell to my knees. I was in the water. I don't remember this. And I just remember, I do remember crying out to God. I says, God, you have to push him in. You have to push him in. And I got up and and uh, we started walking the shore, and, and uh, uh, one of the firefighters had a, a, an apparatus that could shoot out a, um, a life uh, preserver hundreds of yards. It says, everybody look out, and if you see anything, I'll, we can shoot this thing out. And I'm, I'm purposely getting in front of the crowd. My thinking, I knew at this point, if God was going to push him in, he's going to need to be resuscitated. And so I'm getting ahead of everybody because I'm asking God, and I mean, God, please let me make this right. Please push him in. Would let me make this right. I want to be the first one to pull him out and the first one to give him his first breaths, and then I'll let the paramedics take over. But I wanted to be the first one to do it. After a good amount of time searching, it became clear he wasn't coming in. His body was never recovered. I had to make a phone call to some, to some parents. That was a difficult phone call. And I knew... I knew I had a battle ahead of me. I knew it, but I could not have imagined what it was like. I'd never experienced depression before. I, I've just, I, I'm pretty normal and maybe a little bit above average as far as being positive and being joyous and having some energy and all those things. Youth ministry can drive you nuts, but it keeps you young as well. Maybe a little bit average, a little bit above average in those things, and all of a sudden this thing hit me. Never had panic attacks before, and all of a sudden these panic attacks um, started hitting me. I had no idea what they were. I just thought I was going to die. That's all, right? That was my day of trouble, my trauma-induced depression. And really, as we look in the scriptures here, it's 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 not as important what caused it. What's really important is how you navigate it, right? How you navigate it. 
and, uh, and allow God to work in your life and allow God to use other people to help you through these things. And so I'd like to show you just an intimate look at depression. We're going to look at Asaph's depression here in Psalm chapter 77. And the first concept I want to, to understand is that in, in Asaph's depression, we see, firstly, stuck points. Stuck points. In, in verse number two, says this, In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. Now, this is not a statement saying that Asaph just didn't want to be comforted. I've, I've, I've yet to come across a person who's been hit by depression says that, 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 uh, that would say, man, I, I don't want to be comforted, right? And refuse to be comforted. Now, sometimes, sometimes or in, people who are in depression, people aren't willing to take the steps to get the comfort that they needed, but, no, but nobody says, you know, no, I, I want to be miserable. I, I want to be always sad. I, I, I really, I want to stay here and not have control of my emotions. No, there's something inside of us that isn't working properly to where emotional regulation isn't as effective as it normally is. We have to understand, our thoughts and emotions, they're not just some abstract force that are just hanging out right? Remember, we're, we are chemicals. We are neurons. We are literal electricity firing off, and our brains are amazing. God designed these amazing things, but because of the fall, things can malfunction up here, right? Hey, if our, our pancreas can go bad, right? And we have no issue praying for somebody who's who uh, who's has, has issues with their pancreas or kidneys or anything like that, uh, probably nobody in here would be ashamed um, to say, hey, w- would, you pray, would you pray for my back, right? Nobody would be ashamed of that. But we pause to get around a group or what have you and say, would you pray for, for me? I'm really struggling with depression right now. And it shouldn't be that way. But we, we, we give pause, and, and there's some embarrassment if we were to say to a group, would you pray for me? I've got some anxiety kicking up right now. And I mean, why? Because the truth is, some of us look at this with a, in a judgmental way. So like, well, you got to have anxiety. You can trust God. You can give it to God, right? We've all heard those things. But so why do we get stuck? There's some things. Our brains are meant, we're, we're designed to be emotional creatures. So there's a rational part of the brain, and there's an emotional part of the brain. There's nothing wrong with that. And our brains regulate our emotions, right? And sometimes we feel elation, and sometimes we feel grief and mourning, and, 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 and both are gifts. Both are gifts. And our brains keep everything in balance normally, much like our pancreas keeps our bl- blood sugar in balance normally, but sometimes. And typically it's because of stress. And now acute stress, nothing wrong with that, right? It can keep us alive. Chronic stress is the killer, and it's chronic stress that changes things up here, right? And makes it difficult for our brains to switch off some of the emotional irregularities when we're living in chronic stress. And so it could be the stress of one big traumatic event that gets us cast down. But if we continue to live in this chronic stress, it's hard for our brains to come back to a healthy baseline and help regulate our emotions. That's one reason we, uh, um, we, we get into these stuck points. You know, depression and anxiety is like being stuck in one scene in a movie, right? And it's the scary scene. 
It's the sad scene, right? We all enjoy watching stuff, and, 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 and there's a buildup and a climax, and, and, then, and then everything settles, right? And, and sometimes things are, are, are uncertain, but we enjoy that drama, the, the suspense and thrill. But imagine, don't you hate? Those of us, hey, where are my Gen Xers at, right? Boomers. Um, you know, when, when, we, when we watch stuff, we had to wait a whole week or the next episode. And that was torture. You young people, you don't, that's not, you, that is a reality you will never know. <laughs> Having to wait. If you missed the episode, you had to wait four years till they come back in reruns. <laughs> it was awful. Now you can just watch the whole thing, just, just like that. You can just binge watch, and, and, and it was torture, right? And when you're watching something, and then that to be continued, oh, no, right? It's the worst thing in the world. That's what depression and anxiety is. You get to this point of, 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 of uh, incredible tension, and then boom, there's no release of that tension, and you're stuck, and you're paused on this one really, really tense scene in your life. And that scene might be really, really sad and you're paused and you can't get unpaused for some reason. Or the scene is a really scary scene in your life and it's like you're paused in this thing and you can't get past that scene. That's what our brains do to us sometimes because of stress. Also, our brains, we can do this to ourselves by what we meditate on. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, really, really important concept. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so here's where I got stuck. One of the places I got stuck is I failed, right? I failed Paul. I failed his family. I failed my youth group. I failed my church. I failed all of fundamentalism. I mean, that's how nuts it gets, right? This thing was on the national news. Pastor Sammy, he was still in Hammond, Indiana. He heard about it, shot me a text, told me he was praying for me. They'd heard about it. It's like, oh my goodness, the whole world knows about it and everything just comes crashing down, right? And then so I couldn't, I I kept thinking about this. I, I failed, I failed. And then it turned into, I am a failure. Now that's a real dark turn when we identify with our shortcomings or failures, right? You know, we can fail at things without being a failure really important. But I spent too much time thinking, I failed, I failed, I failed, I failed. As a, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. My brain created this false reality. So in here, it didn't matter what truth you tried to share with me. You weren't going to change my mind about the fact that I'm a failure because I meditated on this and that's what I became. Even though I wasn't a failure, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's why it's important when you are going through something stressful or traumatic that you do have somebody to mentor you through that or guide you through that and find a godly, a, um, a godly counselor, a godly leader in the church that, that you can just uh, um, unload on and, and, and somebody to help you get control of your thoughts and, and just those, those affirmations are really, really important. We need that. You just study scriptures and, and you know the importance of, of us as a church body encouraging one another with our words, with our words. Verse number three. I remembered God and was troubled. <gasps> Asaph, you are a man of God. You are a leader in Israel. You're a music minister. How can you dare say that you think about God and you're troubled? Well, that's what he says. So we see here next is spiritual anguish. Is I remembered God 
and was troubled, spiritual anguish. So here for the depressed and anxious, some spiritual concepts and activities can be troubling. They can be troubling. I'm not saying we get out of using Scripture to help people, but we need to be careful with how we use Scripture too. I mean, we need to do this with discernment. So for example, let's say somebody lost their job of 20 years, right? That's hard. While this is true, it might not be the best thing to use the Scripture that says, you know, the Bible says this is our light affliction, brother. Well, we know that's true, right? But that might not be the appropriate time to bring out that, that verse on somebody who's just lost their job of 25 years, right? And they don't know what's next. They don't know how we're going to pay the bills. And yes, we know it's true here, but it sure does feel heavy, even though in the scope of eternity, it's light. But in that moment, it's really heavy. So it's not just about, hey, let's lay some scriptural truth. Let's put some scriptural truth in action. So here's a scriptural truth maybe that might be better in a situation like that, rather than reminding the person that, hey, this is light affliction, brother. How about the other scriptural truth of burden bearing, right? And how about a person who's just uh, lost their job of 25 years, rather than reminding them that this is light affliction, how about buy them groceries, right? That's scriptural too, amen, right? And so let's take the scriptures for all of what it's worth, and so that scriptural truth of burden-bearing could certainly be something that lightens the affliction rather than something that is traumatic and heavy and just trying to lighten it with words. Sometimes, for the depressed and anxious, spiritual concepts and activities can be troubling. I, most of my ministry has been youth ministry and music. I love music, always in front of people, all those things. Of course, so that was troubling for me. But there came a point where something at, like music that brought me such joy brought me a whole lot of pain. And I really struggled with that. I wondered if I was in sin, obviously in many different aspects of this thing. Because why am I not enjoying music anymore? Well, there's also another biblical concept. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 25, 20, that sometimes singing songs to a heavy heart is like taking a garment from somebody during cold weather. Now, when it's cold and you take somebody's sweater, right? You know what? Women's winter is the summer indoors with air conditioning. With all of us men, we want to crank that thing down. And in the midst of the summer, the ladies bundle up. Why? Because us men, we like it cold, right? And say your wife is, is, is freezing uh, wherever it is in the church, whatever, and you decide to take away her, her, gar her, uh, her, her coat from her, um, it's not going to be comforting to her, right? It's going to be aggravating, right? So wait a minute. Hey, if you're depressed, then listen to godly music. And I'm not against that. I'm not. But let's remember all of Scripture. Sometimes someone has a heavy heart, like I did in that time. Music minister, music broke my heart. It broke my heart. It was like I was in the cold and someone took away my jacket, right? And so when you see that we come across this, like, well, what's wrong with them? They used to love music, and how can they not enjoy this godly music? They got a heavy heart. And maybe just right now, Hey, just right now, you need to take a break from that music or what have you, it's, and it's okay. Like I said, I'm singing again. I'm enjoying music again, but there was a season in my life just to understand, hey, sometimes there is spiritual anguish. You continue there in verse number four. The Bible says, thou holdest mine eyes waking. Number three, there's sleep issues. 
Now, sleep, this is really complicated because sleep issues are a, uh, a symptom of depression, but it's also an aggravator. So it's this cyclical thing that can snowball. Because of the depression, you have trouble sleeping. Now, because you have trouble sleeping, it makes your depression or anxiety worse. And it's, it's a terrible thing. It's like, hey, we, we understand it with children, right? When they're overtired, the little angels turn into little demons. Amen? But let, let's, let's be honest with ourselves too. Hey, adults, we get overtired too, right? Sometimes you just know your husbands need to take a nap. Amen? Right? I mean, so we, when we're tired, we're more, we're more emotional. Amen? Somebody's struggling with depression. Understand, they're having trouble with their emotions. And then now they, they're having trouble sleeping. When I got in contact with a, a pastor who's, who's pastored the same church for 39 years, but happens to have specialized training um, in this issue, works with Marines, with PTSD, and all those things, one of the first questions he asked me is, Jay, how are you sleeping? One of the first things he asked me. Terrible, Doc, it's been years. And that's one of the first things we really had to try to rectify. Here's that God designed our bodies to recover during sleep, even our brains. There's stuff that needs to be cleaned out chemically, and it happens in our sleep. And that's why you understand what brain fog is, especially when you're lacking in sleep. You have this brain fog. Just stuff takes longer to process, right? And so one of the, one of the first things, one of the most important things to consider that you can take care of before you get into the root issues. Somebody's dealing with depression and anxiety. Hey, and you're having trouble sleeping. You've got to get control of this thing. And it's okay if you go to a doctor. You need to. It's that important. And I know you have to decide for yourself your comfort level with, with medication and things like that. Hey, your bodies, our bodies sometimes need medicine. And if you need a sleep aid for a short time to help reset, the, reset things, that's okay. That's between you and God and your doctor. But it's so important that God commanded rest. He did, right? And he modeled rest for us with the Sabbath. And that's how important it is. So sleep issues, so important. Next, I, in verse number four, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. So we also see silence. And here's a dangerous thing, especially for men. We don't like to talk, right? I mean, we like to talk sports, guns, you know, politics sometimes, right? But I mean, when we talk about our feelings, even that statement made some of you guys cringe, didn't it? Right? Talk about feelings, Rawr. right? <laughs> Ladies, you don't have as much trouble with the talking part, amen? Please don't take that as an insult, but it's the truth, right? Talking is really, really important for someone who's hurting. Let me show, show you this verse in Psalm chapter 32, verse number three. I believe we have that up there. I want you to see this. The psalmist said, when I kept silence, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old. My bo what does that mean? It says I was physically unhealthy, Right? If you're aging at a too fast, right, you're unhealthy. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old, it's physically unhealthy, through my roaring all the day long. So wait a minute, when I kept silence, there's still roaring? Yes. There is this screaming inside when you're hurting, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. There is this screaming inside when you're hurting, and when we're holding an emotional, we're holding in our, our thoughts and our ideas, we're holding those things out, our bones wax old. It's physically unhealthy for us to do those things. 
And so it's really, really important, even just talking. And here's the big power of talking and letting people know that you're hurting, is that when people know that you need help, then they can help, right? Hey, there's too often in churches like this all across the nation that people are hurting, and then they leave the church bitter, so I didn't get the help I needed, but nobody knew. So the responsibility, yes, as a church is that we set this culture that is explosively clear that here at Liberty Baptist Church, it's okay if you're not okay, but you don't need to stay there. We're all human, and we're going to work through these things together, and we're going to love you through these things, and we're going to help bear your burden. But the responsibility is also on the hurting to be vulnerable, to be transparent, and to be open to say, hey, I'm struggling here, and I need some help because we can't bear your burden unless we know about it, all right? Silence, silence. Keep on going there. Um, Verse number five, verse number five. The Bible says, I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Um, Nextly, there's soul searching, which is important. We should examine. The Bible says to take heed unto yourselves and to the flock. So even for ministers, church leaders, take heed unto yourselves and to the flock and look deep within. And what's going on? He says, I communed with my own heart. It means I examined it. And my spirit made diligent search. It was a spirit. It was a spiritual thing. It wasn't a self-centered, self-focused um, thing that was happening here. His spirit made diligent search, and he was truly trying to find out what was happening. And then in verse 7 through 9, we're going to see these silly thoughts. The Bible says, will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Verse 9, hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah, and we see these really hard questions coming from a man of God. It's like, how dare you, Asaph, ask these questions? Hey, in depression and anxiety, we're just a little bit more irrational. We're more reactive and emotional than we are rational. There's been a switch in our brain that's turned it into that. But then, praise the Lord, we also see solutions. And I'll finish with this. In verse number 10, the Bible says, he said, this is my infirmity. Number one, acknowledge the issue. Acknowledge the issue. Asaph said, this is my infirmity. That word infirmity, interestingly, it means a sickness or disease. And all these things that we just studied, they're emotional stuff, right? There's stuff that's coming from here. And Asaph, by inspiration of God, says, this is my infirmity. This is my sickness. This is my disease. It starts with an acknowledgement. Why? Because if we don't acknowledge the issue, then we can't start on the road to healing if we don't acknowledge that, hey, there is something wrong and I need help. Verse number 11 says this, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Next solution, be intentional about taking control of thoughts. Be intentional about taking control of thoughts. So he says, I'm going to meditate on your work, right? Now, there are some times, of course, that we do have to deal with our grief, right? The the Bible says, you understand, um, the Bible tells us that there's a prerequisite to comfort. Jesus said that Jesus made the prerequisite. He said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Wow, read that a million times. And it wasn't until the depths of my depression that I realized, oh, wait a minute, why am I not experiencing the comfort of God? Well, I'm not allowing myself to mourn. 
And so sometimes, well, often, of course, grief is a gift. It allows us to move on. And so rather than holding an emotion that's the roaring that's inside of us, we allow ourselves to cry, to hurt, to ask the hard questions. But then at the same time, not spending too much time dwelling there and meditating on His work, talk of His doings, remembering the works of the Lord, and being careful with our thought life, and so being intentional about controlling our thoughts. Thirdly, we'll see in verse uh, number 13, thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. And so we're going to make this switch into New Testament vernacular, and thy way, O God, is in the church. And so thirdly, commit to seeking a support system. Commit to seeking a support system. The studies are obvious. They're amazing. They're explosive, if you will, that people who have a strong support system are less likely to have depression. People who have a strong support system will find healing from depression much quicker, right? And where do we find that support system? Right here in the church. We need Jesus. We need Jesus with skin on. What does that mean? We need the body of Christ. So commit to seeking a support system. Be a part of it. Be church. Don't just consume. Be here. Be around. Fellowship. Get to know people. Have a support system. Open up so that people can help you. And then lastly, verse number 14, thou art the God that doest wonders. Whoa. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Lastly, reframe your pain. So now all of a sudden, so he's made this shift and, and, and of course, it's been about his pain, but also he acknowledges, he acknowledges his infirmity, but also he is careful to acknowledge that he is the God of wonders. He is the God of all strength, and he is the God that's in control, and nothing happens unless he allows us or even directs us directly into these painful seasons in life. And so what I'm talking about a reframing is putting it in context of God's will for our lives. You know, ultimately, God's will for our life is, is to be like Jesus, right? It's to be like him. And so what are the characteristics of Jesus that we're all striving to be like? Of course, the grace of Jesus. He's gracious. He's, a lo he's loving, so we should be loving. He's compassionate. But not just that. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so let us all be, as we strive to be like Jesus, to be a man or woman of sorrows and to be acquainted with grief, and now as we reframe the difficult seasons of life, we can see these deep losses and the deep pain and sorrows and grief as really a head start in becoming like Jesus and reframing it that way. Back to ocean shores very quickly, and I'll close. When I was able to piece together what happened in the water, the young people told me they got hit by a couple big rogue waves, and in the area they call them sneaker waves, and and all of a sudden they realized they were being pulled out and a couple of young people had the presence of mind to swim parallel to the shore and got out. Paul was not only a godly man, a very athletic man. He, he, was, he, he was able to, to get into shore. And then he turned around and saw two of his friends, Angel and Justin, being swept out to sea. And a couple of the young people said the last thing they, they, they saw Paul heading towards them. Paul helped at least one of the friends get back before him being swept out to sea himself. Again, not a surprise. What does the Bible say about that? Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Not a surprise that Paul would do that. But as much 
as amazing as that act of sacrifice was, Jesus Christ did so much more for the likes of you and me. And he gave his life to pay our sin debt. My friends, I hope you understand. Yes, we all, we all make mistakes in life, but it's more than a mistake. We all have a sin nature. And because of our sin, we don't deserve heaven. As a matter of fact, we deserve hell. But God doesn't want you to go to hell. And Jesus loves you. And he made a way. And Jesus Christ gave his life for you. And Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And more importantly, yes, there's healing in Jesus, but your starting point for healing, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, is that you come to know him as your Savior. And you can be assured of heaven today. And in just a minute, we're going to have a time of invitation. And if God spoke to you in any way, we'll open the altar and you can spend some time praying. But we'll have counselors of pastors at the front and i'd ask you to get that get that question settled today of eternity you can know for sure heaven's your home if you would allow us to introduce you to jesus through the word of god through the word of god an intimate look at depression would you reframe your pain today would you just see it as jesus as god making you more like jesus Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.